God. You're so, so good. Uh, God, sometimes um, it, it's really obvious uh, to us. Um, God, sometimes we, we question where you're at, uh, why you're allowing whatever's happening in our lives to happen. But God, one thing we learn, uh, one thing I've certainly learned uh, the older I get is that you never leave me, you never forsake me. You're there with me on the mountaintops, you're there with me in the valleys. You're certainly walking alongside uh, through the normal day in, day out things that happen in life. And, and God, we just want to acknowledge that uh, because I'm sure that there's some folks that probably feeling really good right now. Maybe they just came back from vacation and they feel rested and ready to take on the world. Maybe there's some folks who are going through some things that are out of their control and they wonder where you're at and what you're up to. And there's probably a lot of us that are just kind of, it's another week, another Sunday and Life is humming along. God, right now we, we say to you, uh, not only do we remember you are with us always, but we want you, God, to speak to us now. Um, God, we want to hear your voice. We want to pay attention to you. And so God, would you open up um, your words to our hearts? Let us be receptive and willing to listen, to see what you might want to say to us in a fresh new way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, mercy. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Also, an act performed out of a desire to relieve suffering, motivated by compassion. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, uh, I went to a school in Flint called Walker Elementary. And uh, Walker Elementary School uh, was set up kind of on this uh, corner. Uh, but there was a road that ran right along the side of the school. And when I was in fifth grade in Mrs. Anderson's class, uh, our windows faced forward to the front of the classroom. And to the left of us, uh, were the windows that looked out on the street. Now, we were on the second floor. There was two floors. Uh, it was almost like a split-level school. Kind of walked up, and then you had to go up or down. And uh, we were kind of looking out uh, on this street. Now, uh, where we were looking, uh, I think there's a picture of it up here, uh, we could see that walking bridge right there. In fact, to the uh, right-hand side, uh, right behind those trees on kind of that second level was my classroom. Uh, and so we were probably maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 yards from kind of where you would walk up and start to walk over the street. Uh, this was in the fall. Uh, I don't remember exactly when, but I know that there were no leaves on any of the trees. We had a perfect view out there. And uh, Mrs. Anderson was teaching, uh, and I, I'm sure a lot of my other classmates would often kind of find ourselves kind of uh, drifting out to the whatever was happening outside, and we saw this one kid, probably looked like he was in high school, uh, was beginning to walk up that bridge to go across. And then there were three guys uh, who looked probably to be about the same age, maybe just slightly older, uh, who were walking already across and were starting to come down, and they kind of met uh, right there in that corner before you walk across. And I don't know what was said, I don't know what happened exactly, uh, looked like 
the guys started to kind of surround this single kid, and we could see him kind of like saying, you know, no, please, and whatever, and kind of turning away and just trying to like put his head down. And uh, I don't know if they were trying to rob him or if they were just wiling out or if this was racially motivated. We couldn't see exactly what it was, but all of a sudden we could tell something wasn't good, and then they started beating the crap out of this kid. Uh, as a fifth grader, literally, it's one of the most traumatic uh, events that I probably have ever seen, uh, certainly up to that point in my life, and our whole class at that point, because a number of us had started to kind of watch the interaction and could see something wasn't good, and we were like 30 yards away through the window, but the only way to get there was to run out of the classroom and then down the hall and down the stairs to the end of the building and then out and around and then up. And the teachers saw it and they started screaming. You could hear kids that were kind of like screaming and like, what do we do? And the teachers are running down the hall and this kid's just getting pummeled. And uh, by the time uh, one of the teachers who was a little bit further down had gotten out of the door, he kind of came around and, and started yelling and, and the, the three guys uh, ran off and the other kid was just like on the ground and you could tell at the beginning he was kind of asking for mercy and they certainly didn't show any. And uh, the teachers though, they ran out and, and, and they did, they Cops were called, they, they took care of the kid, they brought him into the office and tried to get him kind of bandaged up a little bit. And uh, There's another story of a good Samaritan. Uh, there's a lady, this actually happened this past February 2019, her name is Teresa Todd. Uh, Teresa was, uh, she's actually a government employee, she was uh, elected as, I think it was the county prosecutor. Uh, she's got a 15 and a 17-year-old son, and she had been working late that night, uh, had been at a commissioner's meeting, grabbed a bite to eat, was driving home. It was, it was pretty late, and uh, a stretch of road that, that's uh, pretty, like, wildernessy, if you will. And all of a sudden, she sees this, uh, what she thought was a kid about the same age as her 15-year-old son, just based on uh, his short stature, runs up out of a ditch and is, like, flagging her down. She says, all I could think about was the fact that this kid has to be about the age of my 15-year-old and what kid should be out here. And he, so she says, I, I stopped, I turned around, I came back. Uh, there was actually three of them. It was uh, a family, um, two boys and their younger sister. It turns out they were a little bit older than she thought. They were just sh shorter. And so uh, one was uh, 22. Uh, the next brother was 20 and, and their sister was 18 years old. She knew right away, being in Texas and where she was located, that, that there was a pretty good uh, chance that they were illegal immigrants, uh, and they were. And uh, she could tell, though, also that they were in really rough shape, especially uh, the gal. Uh, she couldn't really walk, uh, and so she said, and because it was cold, get into my car while I make some phone calls. And uh, So she knew someone that uh, worked for a nonprofit that helps with refugees. She knew somebody that... Uh, works for Border Patrol, um, that was a lawyer with Border Patrol, and so um, she's trying to call uh, both of these folks uh, when just moments later uh, a cop car pulls up behind her with their lights on. Uh, it's a deputy that she knows because they work uh, together, and uh, he starts to look at her kind of strange, like, do you think that maybe they have something they shouldn't have in their backpack, and pulls her out of the car, and then Border Patrol agent pulls up, 
they arrest her and put her in the back of the car and uh, bring her into uh, the station where, where she's in a holding tank for a few hours. And uh, the story that, that she had heard and comes out in court documents is that this family, um, they had left their home in uh, El Salvador much earlier uh, because life was so bad. They've been living with an aunt in Guatemala for the last number of years, but local gang activity becomes so bad. Uh, two of the oldest kids' uh, friends had been killed, and they had uh, found out that the gang leader wanted their younger sister to be his girlfriend. Uh, knowing they certainly didn't want that, they felt like they had uh, no alternatives, and so uh, they fled and decided to try to get in with a group of uh, smugglers who were illegally entering the U.S. And uh, that's how they came in. Their sister, though, uh, began to get sick. And the smuggling group said, we, we're not going to wait around. And so they took off. Of course, the brothers wouldn't leave their sister. And so the three of them are kind of left in the wilderness. They run out of food because they're lost uh, about two days later. Uh, the next day, they have no water. And so for a day and a half, they had no food, no water. You can go a lot longer without food, but you can't go very long without water. And the girl was actually on the edge uh, of dying. Uh, thankfully, they were able to get her to a hospital. Uh, the boys as well, um, they're, they're going to be okay. Uh, but this is what uh, Miss Todd said. She said, uh, Mrs. Todd, who routinely puts misdemeanor lawbreakers behind bars as a county attorney, was put into a holding cell at the nearby Border Patrol station. Her purse and other personal items were confiscated. In fact, she didn't get her phone back for 53 days. She says, I walk in and a guy says, are you the driver? She says, no, I'm the lady who stopped to help these kids. Ms. Todd said, they seemed to think there was something very nefarious going on when I literally got flagged down on the side of the road and tried to be a good Samaritan. What would you do? That's one of those stories that like, you're like, okay, that feels far away, right? Because it's Texas. What would you do? If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read the story of the Good Samaritan this morning. Now, one of the worst things that can happen, or yeah, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll make sure someone can grab a Bible. You can follow along for us. Uh, maybe not one of the worst things. Something that often happens when we sit in church and somebody says, hey, we're going to read this particular story. And you're like, oh my goodness, I've heard that a thousand times, right? In fact, quite honestly, uh, if you're here as a guest and maybe you have, uh, maybe this is one of your first times in church in your entire life, you still know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Because that's like ingrained in American culture. Quite honestly, uh, most of the world over, oh, I know the Good Samaritan. That's about you're supposed to help people. And so it's easy for us to say, okay, know the story, understand it, I get it. Uh, I'm just going to veg out for a little bit. I'm going to let my mind wander. Look, I'm telling you, God has something he wants to say to us today. So don't allow your minds to go all over the place. Say to God, God, I know this is a story I've heard before. Is there something fresh and new you wish to say to me this morning? Luke chapter 10. Now, we get to the parable of the Good Samaritan in a very interesting way. Uh, there's actually a lawyer who comes to Jesus and he's got a question about something completely different. Let's pick up the story in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So he's got a, a, 
a reason for his line of questioning, all right? It's, it's not just that he is really curious about the answer. In fact, we'll find that out in a minute. He says to Jesus, teacher, which is a really nice, respectful way to talk to Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus doesn't actually answer the question. Uh, Jesus, as he often does, then just asks a follow-up question to the lawyer. He says, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? In other words, well, what's written in the law? Like, what do you think? Now, uh, the lawyer continues. He says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. He's quoting a verse from the Old Testament. And love your neighbor as yourself. Quotes another verse from Deuteronomy. And he nails it. Like, like, Jesus actually answers this question. He doesn't do it in this particular moment, but in other passages and places in Scripture, Jesus answers this very same question, and he answers it the exact same way. The dude, like, nails it, okay? You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. In other words, you you want to know how to be a part of God's family? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And love your neighbors yourself. You see, Jesus knows that if we actually, honestly, truly pursue that, that God's going to become something more than just this idea or just this religious thing or just this Sunday thing. He's going to become personal to us. And we're going to understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and understand that he died on the cross for our sins and rose back to life and Jesus gets it, and he's like, and when you understand that, that you will show it by the way that you treat folks, by the way that you love them. Verse 29 says, but he wanted to justify himself. In other words, that's just the beginning. He's trying to test Jesus, to trap Jesus. So he starts off by saying, how do I inherit this eternal life? How do I become a part of God's family? How do I I get that? Jesus says, what do you think? Dude nails the question. Now he says, oh yeah, Jesus, but... Who's my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is the the question he's really getting at. Now, by simply asking this question, he's assuming that there must be some folks that are not his neighbor. All right? You don't say, well, who's my neighbor, if you actually think everybody's supposed to be my neighbor. You ask the question, who's my neighbor, if you think that there are some people that are your neighbor and some people who are not your neighbor. All right? Which is a fair thing for us to ask, isn't it? Well, who's my neighbor? Is it my Republican friends? Is it my Democratic friends? Is it my gay friends? Is it my straight friends? Is it the people who think like me and believe like me and go to my church? Is it the people that worship other gods? Or the people that don't worship any gods? The people that are in my city or my country? Or is it... Who's my neighbor? So, uh, again, Jesus refuses to answer his question. Jesus starts to tell a story. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
uh, I had the privilege of being in Israel about six, seven months ago, and I got to actually walk. A lot of folks don't actually do what we did, but we got to walk this road. Now, not the entire length from Jericho to Jerusalem. Uh, We drove about halfway from Jerusalem uh, to a spot uh, where there is a monastery, and then we picked up the road there. Uh, But I want to show you about 20 seconds of what this exact road is that Jesus has in mind. This is the video right here. There's even a donkey in it, which is pretty awesome. So this is the actual road. Uh, look, look at how tight it is here. Uh, there's all kinds of caves all throughout. It's a big valley on one side, so not a lot of you know, room to go either way. Uh, go ahead and stop it right there if that's possible. Uh, okay. Well, that doesn't, (laughs) I went a little bit far. That's okay. Uh, Yeah, right there, perfect. So uh, if you kind of see the point up there, like you can imagine if it's dark and you walk around that point, someone could easily come out of a cave, which there's some uh, just up there on kind of the top right, kind of come in behind you. A couple of guys could be in front of you. Like this is a very treacherous area because there's no place to go. No place to run. Uh, This is the exact road that Jesus is talking about. We think road, we think like highway. No, this is the road right there, okay? And Jesus says, like, this guy's walking, and he's coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is the same way that we were walking. Uh, It's not going that way. It's actually coming the other way. And these thugs jump out, and they beat him and leave him. They rob him. They beat him. They they leave him laying on the heat. In fact, the, the text says that he's half dead. So we don't know what that means, if he's knocked out cold, but he's half dead. Uh, this, is, this is actually where the story starts to get interesting. Because at this point, it's a parable. But folks are like, okay, why, why is he talking about this? Why, why, is, why is this happening? So then Jesus continues on. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. Ah, okay, we get it. We get it, Jesus. We see where you're going here. A priest is going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. You'd be like, what? Because it's interesting. The man is not going up to Jerusalem. He says he's coming down from Jerusalem. So if a priest is coming also down from Jerusalem, he's not going to the temple to perform his priestly duties. He's probably going back to Jericho, where we know a number of priests live. Now again, this is a parable. Jesus is making up the story, but it's rooted in real life. And they think, well, obviously the priest is going to do something because he's kind of at like the top of the pecking order when it comes to spiritual stuff. All right, this is like the pastor. And he passes by on the other side. In fact, uh, some scholars uh, actually think, because you can see it's not a very wide road. It's not like you're like, some even wonder if it means that he walked down the valley and walked back up a treacherous walk to the other side where there is another path. Most of the time, you saw water flowing through there. That's because it had just rained a couple of days earlier. That's the only reason it was there. It fills up when it rains, and it goes away it's dry when it's not. So people are a little bit like, whoa, hold up, Jesus. Like, all right, where are you going? So too, verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Like, wait a minute now, because this is like, you got like the pastor, and then you got like, like an elder, like a leader, like a Sunday school teacher, like right? somebody like, 
priests would have performed all the priestly duties. They would have been the ones that actually performed the sacrifices. But the Levites, like, they were some spiritual folk too. Like, they took care of the temple. Like, they cleaned it. They made sure they even helped prepare some of this. Like, Levites were, like, also somebody to look up to. And now the priests walk by and the Levites walk by and they're saying like, whoa, where's the story going now? They're probably in their Jewish minds thinking, okay, he's probably going to say like a layman, a Jewish layman is about to come by. They're probably the ones that's going to help out their fellow Jewish traveler who has been beaten, abused, left half dead. Verse 33. But a Samaritan. Now, we don't get it. Like, honestly, we, we have a real hard time understanding how shot. Like, you've probably heard the story before. You're like, okay, we get that he's supposed to be, sh- we're all supposed to be shocked that it's a Samaritan that's helping. Like, Jews and Samaritans, they don't really like each other. I mean, that, that's, honestly, it's an understatement. We just don't have a way to, because our racism, our prejudice, we, we tend to keep it kind of like chill and low down, Right? it's pretty rare that you get like straight up bigotry where people are, somebody's in your face, I hate you, bleepity bleepity bleep, I don't want anything to do with you because you're this or you're that. Like, we don't see a whole lot of that. Ours tends to be kind of like chilled and like we do it in, 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 in different ways. But back then, Jews literally, they, like, they hated Samaritans. And Samaritans hated Jews. In fact, one of the things that's actually kind of shocking about this story is if we were to flip back uh, just a chapter to chapter 10, we're going to find something out. Chapter 10, or excuse me, chapter 9, verse 51. It's not going to be on the screen, but if you have your text, you can flip back there. Uh, we find that Jesus is actually heading to Jerusalem himself. When Jesus shares this parable, we think that he's actually on this road. We don't know exactly where, okay? The, the journey from Galilee in the north all the way down to the south in Jerusalem where Jesus is heading uh, is a long trip, okay? It's a couple days probably. We don't know exactly where he's at, but it's very possible he's literally on this actual road in a town, not like right there. There's no town there, okay? But like somewhere along that path. It says in 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. A lot of times we think like Samaritans, it was the Jews that must have been so bad because they hated the, the Samaritans hated the Jews too. Jesus sent some messengers on ahead. He's actually going through, which most Jews would have walked around. Jesus is going through, and he's like, hey, I just need a place to to chill for the night. Hospitality for the Middle East culture is huge, massive. To to not provide hospitality for somebody is like slapping them in the face. And they're like, yo, we don't want anything to do with you. Yo, you're Jews. You're going to Jerusalem. Don't get out of here. Jesus has just experienced this. And yet, he says, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The fact that Jesus brings a Samaritan into this story is shocking. But then he goes on in great detail to talk about all the ways that the Samaritan goes out of his way to care for the beat-up Jewish guy. Like, all kinds of, like, it says that, like, not only does he bandage his wound, he takes some of his own wine and he pours it on the wounds to help heal them and and he puts the man on his own donkey and then he takes the man all the way to this inn he pays for the man to be able to stay there and he promises the innkeeper that he's going to come back and pay him whatever else is necessary (sighs) crazy like this is just some crazy stuff jesus shares a story and you could probably just feel the tension in the room all right because there's no samaritan sitting around listening like It's all Jews, and they're like, what is he saying? What is he talking about? And so uh, he gets to the end, and and, and I love this. This is so good, right? Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? Which of these three? Mm. The lawyer. Now he's the one trapped. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Do you notice something there? He can't even say Samaritan. He won't even say the Samaritan was the one who was the neighbor. He says the one who had mercy on him. Mercy. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm, or an act performed out of a desire to relieve suffering motivated by compassion. Mercy. The one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus says, Go and do likewise. Mercy is powerful Uh, because mercy to the one who receives it becomes a blessing. But it is also a blessing to the one who gives it. You see, both people are changed in the transaction, in the interaction. That's the power of mercy. Something happens in that place. Uh, I want to share a couple of stories with you from a couple of folks that are in the healthcare fields uh, here at TLC. Uh, This morning... We're going to be commissioning those of you that are in the healthcare fields, uh, nurses, doctors, pharmacists, OTs, PTs, folks that are maybe uh, doing uh, medical research, uh, folks that work in hospitals as orderlies or managers or uh, whatever it is, uh, folks that uh, are in the science fields, we want to commission you. Uh, That's what our whole Warp and Weft series is about. Saying that like it's important and it matters that not only do we engage in our vertical relationship with Christ, but we also engage horizontally and we recognize that those two things are supposed to come together to create a beautiful tapestry. And so we want to commission you to head out into your places of work as missionaries. If we, if we commission folks who are going to go overseas to do kingdom work, how much more should we be commissioning those of us here on a consistent basis to go out into our places of work where you're supposed to be engaging the kingdom of God, showing the kingdom of God, living the kingdom of God? 
And so I asked a couple of the folks that I knew that were in the healthcare field. I said, what, what are some stories you have where you've seen mercy at work? Uh, this person said, I, I was finally asleep on a plane to Italy. Yeah, you ever flown overseas? You need to get some sleep on that plane ride. And it is the worst place to try to fall asleep. And so when you finally fall asleep, the last thing you want is for somebody to come and wake you up. And she heard over the speaker that a healthcare professional was needed. She said, as I opened my eyes and began to look around, no one else was getting up. So I began to stand up and look for a stewardess who saw me and quickly brought me over to an unresponsive elderly lady. She says, I assessed her vitals and had to resuscitate her. She had taken two Ambient and two glasses of wine, uh, which is a no-no, FYI, if you're ever traveling, and was hypotensive and unresponsive. She says, I eventually started an IV on her on the plane and stayed with her until she was stable. Uh, another person who was a nurse shared this story. She said, one very chaotic night, I had a homeless patient who was very rude to staff. This patient frequents the ER, so we all know him very well. Tonight, though, he was in rare form, extremely intoxicated, filthy, throwing things at people walking by just to try to get their attention, yelling, absurd demands, etc. He says, I was his nurse, and he had called me every name in the book by the end of his visit. I'm not sure why it was with him specifically, because we see a lot of patients exactly like this, but God gave me some sort of divine mercy when looking upon this man. I was always able to answer him in a calm, polite way. I sent his clothes to be laundered with the hospital's laundry service while he was in the ER, uh, found him some shoes from the donation closet, and helped him get a shower before he left. He never said thank you, not even once. But I know that the Lord used that situation to remind me how to love the least of these. And that might have been the only love or mercy this man had received in a very long time. Uh, I got actually a number of stories, and I can't share all of them with you. But what I would like to do before we commission those of you in the health care field is to explain why mercy matters so much. Now you're like, yo, T, I get it. Like the Good Samaritan, I've heard it before. I understand I'm supposed to be like merciful. I'm supposed to care for people that are that are like, I, I, I understand. I, I think we do understand, but sometimes I think we miss something. Uh, you see, when Jesus shares this story, he's actually on the road. And he's heading to Jerusalem. And when he shares the story, the reason that he says that anybody in need is our neighbor is because he knows that all of us, are the person who's half dead lying on the side of the road without any ability to do anything for ourselves. And Jesus, as he travels the road, is looking for us. You see, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross, to take the punishment that we couldn't actually take. He's there to actually heal our wounds by taking what we deserve on himself. And when Jesus says, who is the neighbor, the one who showed mercy to him, Jesus is saying, and you all are the ones that need mercy. 
You see, the reason that we love others, that we care for others, that we're merciful to others is because God has been merciful to us. God became our neighbor. God found us when we were half dead on the road. He walked that road looking for us on his way to Jerusalem to die on a cross. But he didn't just die. He then also rose back to life three days later just as he promised. So that not only could he experience what we have experienced, take our sin on himself, but he could forgive it. Remove it so that we can have life with him forever. Like, that's the beauty of this story. Jesus is on the road. You see, when we give mercy to others, it's, it's not simply because it's a good thing to do or because we're somehow better than anybody else. What it actually means is we recognize that we needed mercy more than anything. Because sometimes you're like, yo, man, I can't give that person mercy. There was another story uh, that one of the folks in the medical community shared with me about a guy who literally had to be chained 24-7. He was actually a prisoner. He had done some of the most awful things a human being can possibly do. And he hadn't repented of it. He was just as vile and disgusting and awful and had all kinds of medical issues that, that were not the kind of thing that you would want to engage in as a medical professional. And yet she said, I, I cared for this man the way that God would desire that I cared for him. You see, sometimes we look at folks and we think, but they don't deserve it, right? Uh, they, they, they should have come into the country legally, God. Uh, they, they shouldn't have done that thing. They shouldn't have done that thing to me, God. And God looks at us and says, you were the one. And I walked that road for you to find you. You see, when we give mercy, it's not because we're somehow better or deserving, we actually look and say, yeah, I wasn't deserving either, and I give this because of what God gave to me. And so the hard part, though, about loving our neighbor is that we don't usually get to plan for it. And so uh, we have to learn how to say yes before the time comes. And so church, this is simply what I'm going to ask us to do right now. Uh, in the quietness of this moment, I'm asking you, TLC, will you say yes? Uh, the reality is some of you are going to have the privilege and opportunity, and it won't be easy, probably this week, where there's going to be a moment, an opportunity, a place, a space for you to offer mercy, and you're not going to be expecting it. It's going to come out of left field, and you're going to have to ask the question, will I say yes? The only way that you will say yes in that moment is if you say yes right now. TLC, will you say yes? I'm going to ask uh, those of you that are in the healthcare fields. Uh, in the sciences, somewhere working in a hospital or a doctor's office or dentists, ophthalmologists, whatever it is, if uh, you guys would uh, make your way to the front. We want to commission you uh, this morning. Uh, I know we've got a number of nurses that are part of TLC. This is actually a great place uh, to get sick because never see more. Uh, those of you that uh, work, we've got a, is it a doula? Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Those of you that are in the mental, yes, thank you. I said that earlier. Mental health care professions. I want you to come on up here. We want to commission you uh, this morning. Um, you'll see the commissioning up on the screen. Uh, but I am not commissioning them, friends. Uh, we are commissioning them. 
And so uh, I'm going to read it, and you can uh, silently read along with me. Uh, then I'm going to invite all of you uh, in this commission to uh, say yes, you will, to a couple of things. And then, church, we will also do the same. So this morning, my friends, we commission you to bring mercy to the people you are called by God to serve, to be salt and light, a healing and illuminating force in your hospital, office, or place of work. Remember, God ordained you and I to join him in creating a world where humanity could flourish. By offering healing and care, you bring God glory as you help restore human dignity. You are doing more than simply bringing home a paycheck. You are doing kingdom work. Be bold in your love for God. Serve others in the name of Jesus. And share the reason you care the way that you do. Invite others to know that ultimate healing and care is found in Jesus. You are now missionaries sent into your places of work. This is your primary calling. So this morning, I want to ask you if you will pledge to the best of your ability to deepen your approach to health care and with the merciful heart of Jesus, apply your work through the lens of Scripture. If you will make that pledge, would you please say, I will. Very cool. Church, those of us in the congregation, would you pledge to pray for our health science professionals as God brings them to mind? Go ahead and take a quick gander up here at all these folks. Find somebody that you have a connection with or someone that God puts on your heart right now. And would you, as God brings them to mind, pray that God would bless them, strengthen, protect them, and use them in their work? Would you please say, we will? I would like right now to pray for all of these folks up here. And I would ask you, congregation, if you're willing, to extend your hands as you pray for them as well. Father God, I am so grateful for the different healthcare professionals that are up here, God, that have a passion to not just see uh, spiritual things healed. Uh, God, certainly you care about that, and they do as well. But God, we know that you created us as holistic beings, and you care about our emotional health, our mental health. You care about our physical health. That is very, very important to you, and it is important to us. And so God, we pray for those that help provide that in all the different spheres and areas that they do. God, may they use their work their passions, their knowledge, their expertise, their experience, God, to bring you glory. God, in those moments where it is hard to be merciful, God, would you remind them that once we were on the road half dead and you found us. So God, when we serve others and love others and treat them with mercy and grace, we are reminded that this is what you first did for us, and now we pass it along. And God, would you allow these folks to be bold in their witness, to be unashamed of the fact that they do this not because it's just a nice thing to do, not because they get a paycheck, not because they're supposed to act a certain way, but because, Jesus, you have done this for them, and they are privileged to be able to do this for others. Would you use their gifts of healing, God, to bring people from death to life, in all aspects, for your glory, that your church might move forward and your kingdom expand in Grand Rapids as it is in heaven for the glory of our King and ultimate healer, Jesus Christ. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. 
Amen.